0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, July thirteenth, two 2021. Lots of news this week, so let's get right to that, and the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Aaron, so this year's Emmy nominations got announced earlier today, like four and five hours ago. What did you make of Marvel Studios' WandaVision and Falcon of the Winter Soldier*? nabbed a combined total of 28 Emmy nominations. Well, it seemed like it uh, was a signal for many
1: different things. First, Mm -hmm. the idea that superhero movies and TV shows never get recognized as being worthy of an accolade or an award. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, they're making up for it now. And Mm -hmm. second, there wasn't that much competition out there. So all you had to do was show up looking good and you were in. And all of the Marvel stuff, whether we've had nitpicks with story issues here and there, minor little quibbles, it all looked smoking hot. And so, yeah, they looked good. They came bringing their a game. And again, the the only thing we had were minor quibbles.
0: And there have been other shows done for subscription streaming services. In fact, Daredevil, the Punisher and the Defenders. All got Creative Emmy nominations years back. Uh likewise ABC's Agents of Shield, they got Creative Art Emmy nominations. So we're talking for effects, we're talking you know, for costuming set design, that sort of thing. What was different this time around though, was that you had above the line nominations, as in you had Elizabeth Olsen. She snagged a nomination for Best Lead Actress. Likewise, Paul Bettany as Vision. uh, He got a Best Actor nomination. And if I were a betting man, the one person I know who's going to take home an award is Catherine Hahn, Agatha Harkness. She got a Best Guest Actor nomination. And the Lopez's, Bobby and Kristen Anderson, they actually got nominated for Agatha's theme song. You know, it was Agatha all along. Meanwhile, over on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Don Cheadle, who played a roadie war machine in that first episode, he also got a best guest actor in a drama nomination.
1: Now, there's a lot of people on Twitter that were like, hey, Don Cheadle just showed up wearing a military uniform for like all of 30 seconds, said two lines. Whereas the guy who played Isaiah was a great, great actor. And I think the only reason that it was Carl Lumbly is the name of the Mm -hmm. guy who played Isaiah Bradley. And I think the reason that he wasn't able was I think he was in an episode too many or something like that. He had just a little bit too much screen time to qualify for that label. And Mm -hmm. so either way, like I love Don Cheadle. I got nothing but love for the guy, but I can't remember anything outside of the fact that he showed up in, in his dress blues and said like two lines and then disappeared, was never heard from again. And I think there have been other actors who contributed more and, and did a better job of doing it in a more memorable way, maybe, that may have gotten a, I don't know, I
0: don't know man. That's an excellent observation. And more to back up what you had said earlier about The Spoken Hot, most of the nominations that WandaVision got, you and I have talked previously about, we may not necessarily like from a story point of view, the first episode or two of Wandavision, because you know they weren't great sitcom episodes, mm-hmm. but they they certainly looked the part. Sure. And so here they get they they got recognition for production design, costume, and period hairstyle, period uh, makeup main title design and main title theme music Yeah, so, well, didn't
1: they hire like the guy that did the opening scene or whatever from the dick van dyke show i mean if that wasn't on point it, you know i mean they learned this the the wire work gags from the actual old shows that they, they were did. emulating if they you can't mm-hmm. beat the 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 look by hiring the original guys
0: that did it then you're screwed <laughs> right i, I mean they invented the totally. trick <laughs> so how can you go wrong Also, it's worth noting here, because you've talked with great enthusiasm about that first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the amazing flying scene with the jump through the compartment of the the helicopter, and that show picked up nominations for stunt coordination and stunt performance. Likewise, effects work. See, now,
1: I read the article where it said they had gotten a nomination for effects work. And my immediate mm-hmm. thought after that was, I bet they were watching the scene where the guys in the wingsuits jump into the open <laughs> helicopter door, and that wasn't VFX, that was actual stunt work, so the, and you know the Oscars should go to a completely different category, which then brought up yeah. the question, what if they got it wrong, Jim? What if they pointed to that scene and went, that's the one that we say gets the VFX award, and there was no VFX in it? And who goes, when they go up to select that, and they go, actually, this is a real thing that we did in real life. <laughs> but thanks for the trophy anyway suckers
0: run out to the car
1: right and peel out of there before one can take it away
0: again congrats to the folks at marvel studios and kevin feige the fact that he he made this bet that if we do film quality work for disney plus it will pay off and geez that strategy paid off in spades Mm -hmm. on the other hand you gotta acknowledge what just happened with Black Widow. because you know. And, and again, I, Aaron will come to my house and beat me with a baseball bat if we start to go into how this film got, you know, was scheduled, descheduled, oh God, no, rescheduled. I'm, getting,
1: I'm packing my bag and buying a
0: ticket, Jim. Don't you start now. <laughs> okay. But, but, but they finally, it finally made it out. It finally made it out into theaters on July 9th and was available on that very same day on Disney Plus via Premium Access. And... They initially announced that based on the ticket sales for the advance showings on Thursday night, it was looking like Black Widow was going to do $90 million domestic. But then there was a fall off in business on Saturday or thereabouts, uh, which, interesting, you talk with folks at Disney, they were like, well, you know, a hurricane you know, excuse me, Tropical Storm Elsa coming up the eastern seaboard and preventing people from going out to movie theaters and all that. But so over the weekend, it only sold $80 million worth of tickets domestic. But then if you factor in the 46 territories overseas, where they sold an additional, what, $78 million worth of tickets. And Disney's announcement of what people at home who decided, I'm going to do the premium access thing, The first weekend this film was available, they had 60 million of, and I want to stress here, this is a brand new term, folks, that undoubtedly we're going to hear a lot of in the future. There was $60 million of consumer spend. So that's not ticket sales, that's literally sitting at home and deciding, okay. I'll spend 29.99 is is Yeah, is, so let's you know, break down magic. let's break down consumer
1: spend. I call it Disney plus plus cuz I'm paying for a subscription and then I'm paying extra to watch Black Widow. So consumer means I'm already consuming. I've I've got a sandwich in my mouth, right? So mm-hmm. I've already paid for that sandwich in order for it to be in my mm-hmm. mouth. That's how I became a consumer. Spend Mm -hmm. is I know I got a sandwich in my mouth, but I'm a fat little piggy, and I want another sandwich right after this one. So how much is that black widow Mm -hmm. sitting over there on the table? And they go thirty bucks, and I go I will buy it. I just spent thirty bucks. Consumer spend Disney Plus Plus. It's I'm giving you my money for the monthly subscription and thirty bucks on top of that, so I can watch one single movie early on your service.
0: But again, if you take that twenty nine ninety nine. And we then divide that into the $60 million of quote-unquote consumer spend what does that mean? That's two million households yes and households is the operative word because you
1: don't know how many viewers are within that household. I mean I could mm-hmm. have had all of my neighbors over and we all could have you know crammed 30 people in here and watched the movie as a as a home theater. Mm-hmm. We didn't but you don't okay. know you just don't know could have been a single individual. I know that if I were a single person and I wasn't going out I probably would have spent the 30 bucks as a as a single person as well but uh, it was just a matter of, W- wife works. She gets home. She's tired. She doesn't want to go out necessarily all the time. So mm-hmm. this was a time where it was like, no, I'd rather just keep my butt on the couch and d- roll it this way. So that's how we watched it was
0: Disney Plus Plus. Consumer spend. Disney did release the number of households they now have uh, Disney Plus, and there's 103 million households Ouch. that are now... Dude, sub- that's a
1: horrible... Oh my God, th- this is just sounds yeah. devastatingly bad now. Mm-hmm. How many total again? Say it again.
0: 103 million. 103. So,
1: and they got mm-hmm. 2 million to click plus. Out of 103?
0: Well, but...
1: but No! See, now, how do you How do you rationalize that math? That's freaking horrible.
0: Make it make sense,
1: Jim, please. Go ahead. I know you got a stat somewhere.
0: See, the problem is we are literally in terra incognito here. The only other time that we've had one of these giant mega media conglomerates talk about how much money they made off of a premium access release. This was last year with Jeff Shell over at Comcast. He was talking about NBC Universal and mentioned in passing that when they made Trolls World Tour, which again the, the sequel to the original trolls film, available through Peacock he said we put it out there and at the end of the run we got over a hundred million dollars. So this is three, four weeks after it's been in theaters, maybe five, oh, or excuse me, been available on Peacock. So they made over a hundred million dollars. So the fact that Black Widow over just its first weekend made 60 million, this is even apples and oranges. We have like an apple <laughs> and we have... A orange, you know, instead of like, okay, so we have an animated, you know, a sequel to an animated film, and we have a Marvel superhero movie. I get what you're saying, that it's like, if I were looking at that and going, 103 million versus 2 million actually decided to click on Black Widow, but at the same time, remember... How they deliberately moved Loki off of Fridays to Wednesdays because they wanted to put some distance between when Black Widow became available on Disney Plus that they didn't want people to go, well, do I want to watch the free thing or do I want to pay $30? What's it shake out, Jim? Is it a success in the end? If
1: And I know we can't even go by pre-COVID standards, mm-hmm. but
0: did it make enough money for everyone to say, hooray, we did it? This is where we get into Hollywood mystery math. If we go with the $80 million domestic, we go with the $78 million we made overseas in those 46 different territories, and then we fold in the $60 million of consumer spend, you know, our, our Disney Plus subscribers who opted for premium access, we now hit $218 million for an opening weekend, which is the highest gross for a film since COVID. In fact, the last time a film did this well was December 2019 when Rise of Skywalker opened. Disney very much wants to point to this and go, success. And there's a number of reasons they want to do that. Because this is the film that launches phase four of the MCU, which has been this huge success. And we've got Shang-Chi in the, the Legend of the Ten Rings in September. And then in November, we've got Eternals. Mm-hmm followed by Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in, in March of next year. So Disney wants this train to get underway, to get back on on track. So it's in their best interest to spin this as a success. But at the same time, it's also it's $218 million. That, that's a lot of dough. It is. And they've also had a couple, they had like a
1: hand at least tied behind their back because there have been entire movie theater chains that have gone out of business. So those are just viewing opportunities gone forever, uh, The a market that's no longer served in, in those regions. And then uh, beyond that, I, I believe that Black Widow wasn't available to run in China because they've got something going on there, there you go. where their theaters are full with with mm-hmm. other things that aren't Black Widow. And so if you just exclude all of the Chinese market, plus all of the theaters, the chains that went out of business, there's a lot of untapped potential still for, is, for viewership. They just yeah. got to find their way through the, the nooks and crannies, I suppose, to get there. Now, Jim, are, how do you think, our theater owners going to be upset? I mean, on one hand, they've got to win. People are coming into mm-hmm. the theater to see Black Widow. On the other hand... They could have more people had Disney done the Disney Plus Plus route and forced people like me to get off of the couch and go into the theater if they wanted to see this movie so badly.
0: This is true. But at the same time, if you think about the fact that, you know, this is the MCO theatrical release that came on the heels of WandaVision mm-hmm. and Falcon of the Winter Soldier and with Loki and all of those becoming white-hot pop culture phenomenons, so, in a weird sort of way, those shows I feel like help build an appetite for. Oh, our yeah, MCU, I really enjoy these things. Oh, it's back in theaters. Let's go. Mm-hmm. We're we'll finally get to see what Kevin Feige envisioned happened with that with that end scene in Black Widow, which Aaron and I will talk about after our first commercial break today. We we, we don't want to get into the spoilers just yet. Speaking of which, though, we should probably move on to the other news items and something that just dropped today. What did you make of our Deadpool trailer reaction trailer? Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think I'm convinced I could get
1: Ryan Reynolds to show up at my next birthday party wearing the Deadpool suit because it seems he'll put it on for any damn reason. It doesn't even have to be a good reason. He'll just show up. Doing that shtick, but uh, yeah, playing, Ryan playing Deadpool, promoting a movie starring Ryan Reynolds called Free Guy, mm-hmm. uh, and then you get Korg in there mm-hmm. from Thor Ragnarok, who is played by Taika Waititi, who happens to be in the movie Free Guy, who Ryan mentions in the thing but mispronounces his name as Taika Waititi uh, or Waititi. There we go, yes, something.
0: yeah, yeah. I get that the charm of this is how meta it is. But when it came to the describing Free Guys, I honestly this movie I thought this came out last August. Or do have Ryan dismiss his own movie as like, yeah, this is, you know, kind of something left over from the Fox Fire sale. Disney is now locking down all of their costumes and making certain
1: that no actors are ever allowed to leave any set under any circumstances with their costumes to prevent any other shenanigans like this. Matter of fact, they've got an APB out right now on Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool costume specifically. It's like if you ever see that costume, you tackle him and you take it back and you burn it. Feige's on a freaking rampage
0: right now about this, right? Do you think this will finally, you know, when people are looking back and we finally do get, our Deadpool uh, appearance in the MCU, people will point to this as well, that's what started it. No, no, I think I think the
1: one thing that's been the most brilliant about Deadpool from day one is the way that they've handled the advertising and the breaking, the continuous shattering of that fourth wall and the specific way that they do it, that they know that this is an ad, that he knows he's being played by Ryan Reynolds. I mean, the whole meta upon meta shtick like the rules have been so shattered and broken. It just doesn't matter. But it's the fact that they're willing to go beyond. Normally, Jim, anything that we've watched in the last like Hmm. 10 years, 99.999% of it when it comes to the advertising is the main show or the main movie chopped up into bits, reordered a little bit to keep you confused as to what the real plot is and then packaged into a 32nd clip montage. And uh, this is actual content that lives on its own outside of being clips from the movie. And that's the thing that I think is the most brilliant about all of it is it, it just doesn't matter what he does because it works. They've broken it that much that he can go into any show right now and it will just work.
0: For me, part of the problem here is I so enjoyed this ad. And I still, I don't get me wrong, I still want to say Free Guy, but it just... Or to the fact of, oh, cool, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool. No, you you know, know, he,
1: he did, I think, have a mention somewhere. I don't know if it was in an interview mm. or, or on Twitter about don't expect Deadpool to show up with Black Widow anytime soon, like any flashbacks. Because mm. they used to be married, you know, in the real lives.
0: Oh, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, ScarJo oh. is, is an mm-hmm. ex-Reynolds.
0: Oh God, that's
1: right. Yeah, so so like they were like, "Hey, you're gonna be in the MCU, and what about you know Deadpool and Black Widow?" And he's just like, "Don't expect that team up to ever happen. I don't think that will, I don't think that will happen, guys. You lower your expectations on that one just a touch."
0: Okay, okay. Well, well, speaking of 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 lowering our expectations, uh, Zendaya was out. Doing publicity for Space Jam, a new legacy. She voices Lola Bunny, and they've wrapped Spider-Man: uh, No Way Home, and she got asked, "Do you see a fourth one happening?" And she said, "You know, to be honest, the experience of making No Way Home was kind of bittersweet because we don't know if we're going to make it another one. So it's just going to be three and done. Normally, you do three movies, and that's pretty much it. So we were all absorbing and taking the time just to enjoy the moment, being with one another, and just being grateful for the experience and Tom Holland, who when he was out earlier this year doing publicity for *Chaos Walking*, kind of said the same thing. No way home is the will be the last one under my current contract. So, right, you know, I want to
1: say the translation by the way for Zendaya and Tom Holland was something along the lines of Jerry Maguire's "Show me the money." Right? Mm, I, no doubt. No. Give doubt. me a contract, um, and I
0: will say yes. There's going to be four, five, and six. Don't be silly. Just rest your pretty mm-hmm. head. There's a lot of people who were talking about this Spider-Man No Way Home trailer that they had supposedly seen and oh corroborating all of the the guest appearances and that sort of thing that would come out with Black Widow. And obviously that didn't happen. So there's, there's a number of folks who were walking back the thing that they absolutely positively saw. But But what's interesting to me is that the only solid information we have about this film to date, comes from the Lego play sets. <laughs> The Spider-Man at the Sanctum workshop, you know, place that it's like, well, there's no surprise there, you know, that, that, that Benedict Cumberbatch has been very upfront about the fact that, you know, he's been shooting Doctor Strange for this film. The set is very simple. It looks like it might be Peter's
1: bedroom, and then there's a portal that goes into, uh, like, a wall, and the other side of the wall is the Sanctum Sanctorum. And it's mm-hmm. got a Spider-Man character, and it's got a A a Doctor Strange character, but it doesn't have any extra Spider-Man
0: characters. Yes, yes. Now let's move on to the next set. Go ahead. Well, we have a Spider-Man droned duel that mentions a vulture figurine, which mentions a vulture figurine, but doesn't mention any other extra Spider-Man
1: figures by anyway, by any chance. There we go. Okay. All right. Moving on. Go
0: ahead. Okay, and then we have a Spider-Man versus Mysterio's drone attack. Ah. So. For me, again, we've got, you know, if we go Vulture, we go Mysterio, you know, that's our villain from Homecoming, and that's our villain from Far From Home. But please to point out the other thing that is missing yet again. Is uh, probably some other extra Spider-Man Lego figures. (laughs) Is that
1: the the guess I should be going with? Yes, yes, yes. Weird that they're willing to give away so many details except that one. It must be a very closely guarded secret. Oh, by the way, some (laughs) Funko Pops came out. And they showed mm-hmm. uh, the many different costumes of the Tom Holland Spider-Man and uh, mm-hmm. the, even some what I would consider rather spoilery details about mm-hmm. like when he goes to make a thwip, a magic-y mm-hmm. thing comes out like, you know, a, a Dr. Strange shield would mm-hmm. would come out when he makes a thwip. So and his, instead of his spider logo, it's got a little doctor Strangey glowy thing in the middle of his chest, which... Seems rather heavy on the spoilers, by the way. No fun go pops for a Andrew Garfield or a Tobey Maguire Spider Man. I don't know
0: why I keep bringing this up, but go ahead. I I I get that. I I truly do. And to further make things bad for the folks who were talking about, you know, oh, we're going to get the teaser trailer, and then they're going to do the big panel at Comic Con at home, and then, of course, just five days ago, we found out that comic-con at home which is being held this year the virtual event versus the actual physical event in san diego which there's a, a special edition that's being held in november but the at home version being held july 23rd to the 25th and it was just announced five days ago that neither marvel nor warner brothers featuring dc will take part this year so There's a a number of people who are backpedaling on the Spider-Man No Way Home teaser trailer we didn't get and the big panel at Comic-Con, which we're not getting either. But given that DC has begun doing its own fan event, the Mm FanDome, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. and likewise how Marvel has now become such a huge component of the D23 Expo, they normally go down there and really unveil huge things that are coming and we're we're not getting another d23 expo till september of next year i wonder going forward if if we are ever going to get back to those presentations at, in, in Hall age if they do their shows correctly
1: it should be like every show leads to a movie leads to a show leads to a movie and any place is now a new entry point for the mcu and if you don't understand it you can either go backwards and look at some of the earlier movies, or you can just look it up online like most people do. And they go, like, when we eventually talk about Loki and the nine hmm. million Easter eggs that were just in episode five alone, right?
0: Yes, in fact, the moment they showed Throg, oh. just like, oh, Aaron is a happy person, right about <laughs> yeah. That. So, so uh, Yeah, so. there's
1: a, there's been a lot of, of great stuff, but uh, the, if they're always teasing the next thing that's about to come and whether it's going to be in a, a theater experience or a Disney Plus experience, I don't think they really need to promote too much anymore either. And what was up with Feige, by the way, recently saying that they're not looking to cast actors long-term, like in these multi- huge contracts. It made it more sound like we want someone that's willing to be
0: here for life, but on a as needed kind of basis. And they specifically cited the deal that they cut with uh, Samuel L. Jackson for nine films. I think what's going on now, or at least as it was explained to me by friends at Disney, it's like when you go to work for Marvel Studios, we make movies, but we also make these limited series for Disney Plus, and you're gonna have to be somewhat fluid in your expectations. Also, we shoot a lot of these things in Georgia or Australia. Right. Oh, and by the way, you may notice in your deal there is language in regard to theme park attractions, because we do a lot of those as well. And then you get into the the language down from the theme park language, the effect of, oh, did we mention the restaurants? Because just in the past week, we had news break about the Avengers Quantum Encounter experience that's in the works for the Disney Wish, the very next ship to be added to the Disney Cruise Line that does its first sets of sailings in the summer of 2022. I think on an earlier show, we talked about the world of Marvel Restaurant. Mm. But now they're starting to talk about individual things that they're going to be doing in the restaurants, and they described the Avengers quantum encounter. It's it's more than a meal, and it's more than a show. It's a larger-than-life showcase of revolutionary quantum technology, as well as world-class cuisine. The conceit of this show is that supposedly Ant-Man of the Wasp are embarking on their very first public speaking engagement on behalf of the Avengers, and so... They're supposedly the hosts of this dinner that's being held in the world of Marvel Restaurant, and they're showing off pieces of, of superhero technology. They use the projection screens around the room to show off how the Brave Vibranium, Captain America's shield works, uh, likewise uh, Tony Stark's arc reactor. And then they start to get into the PIM Particles. When you sit down in the restaurant... Every table in the restaurant is supposed to have its own quantum core. And so what will happen is the waitstaff will walk out. In fact, they've got a sort of a proof of concept video out right now. The waitstaff walks up to the table and they have this giant platter. There's a teeny tiny cupcake on and then they power up the quantum core and there's flash of light. There's a lot of smoke and then... There's now a cupcake that's like 18 inches tall and a foot wide and some child goggling at it. But as friends in Imagineering were explaining this to me, it's they're actually building the restaurant backwards from this effect. Oh, geez. The notion is that each individual table, in order to pull off this particular illusion, is set up in such a way that you've got this thing that does the flashy, flashy light effect, and then brings in the giant cupcake. And all I can think of is that I remember talking with friends who worked at Universal Creative about how they wanted to build, as part of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, a great banquet hall experience. If you've seen any of the Harry Potter movies, there's that moment where you know the kids are sitting at the long tables and then the, the food magically appears in front of them. And they knew they couldn't do that. But they dummied up an effect where you sit down to the table and there in front of you was a giant, huge, empty platter. And then the waitstaff would walk in carrying the cover of giant terrain, which they made, you know, an elaborate show of showing you it was completely empty. And then they set it down in the middle of the tray in the middle of it and do a one, two, three. And when they lift it again, there is this giant heap of piping hot food. You're just dazzled because it, it, you know, where did this come from and where it came from were the prep kitchens directly below the great banquet hall and what they were, <laughs> were planning on doing was that when they got the signal that the train had been put into place there were these hydraulic rams basically the top of the terrain that you could see on the table was a draw and it would slide back into the table and these hydraulic rams would then send food up at, you know at warp speed into the terrain and then we lifted it, you oh, know, so look at the chicken, look at the beef. And uh, the problem was that, you know, there, there, were, there were food items it worked with. On the other hand, they spent so much time scooping the mashed potatoes out of the roof. Right. Of the, you know, it's like, all right, that did not work. And
1: I'm sure there would be like sometimes where the hydraulics were just primed a little bit too much and they shot potatoes out like a cannonball and it landed on go. the ceiling and... I yeah, can imagine you know. kind of like a rogue wave comes by and it's like, I'm sorry, our piping is uh, now <laughs> covered in gravy and uh, prime rib. So we're going to have to
0: de-prime rib our tubes. So if we're, we're being completely honest here, we have a Disney that's been chasing the success of Butterbeer with its own blue milk for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And, you know, the irony is that here is something that universal tried to do the great banquet hall experience that they could never quite pile pull off and it looks like disney is hoping that you didn't get to do this but we will with our quantum encounter dining experience No, so, i'm imagining some poor wait staff
1: uh like who's been shoved up underneath some custom-made <laughs> table while they're holding two plates just waiting for that moment where they can do the quick plate switch and nobody will ever notice yeah. you know just cramped under this table and all God, I hope this works. I don't want to spill gravy on you again. That hurts. It's really awkward when the table goes, ow, damn it.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. So sorry, folks. We, we may have just spoiled this wonderful you know, experience on the Disney Wish. And speaking of spoilers, by the way, when we get back from this commercial break, we are going to be talking in depth about Black Widow. Before we get started on Black Widow, another thing that dropped while we were away, there was that amazing, what's that really, a trailer? It's almost a four-minute-long chunk of the next thing we'll be getting on Disney Plus from Marvel Studios and the animated series, What If? And Aaron, you, you noticed something pretty intriguing about this, didn't you? Well, watching the trailer, I thought the animation is
1: so far the best animation that Marvel has done in the history of the company so far. It looks really slick and I just can't wait to dive into it. But while watching the trailer, the theme seemed so familiar to me and it took like a couple of days of running through my head before I could reach to a specific location and place it. And so uh, I'm gonna play real quick. This is gonna be the last few notes of the What If trailer and the music. And I, I think it's just some awesome music, but here we go. Okay, and now this is music from the last portion of the old TV show from the 80s, The Outer Limits. Jim, you remember The Outer Limits? Please stand by. Oh, very vividly. All right, now listen to this piece of music here. and you see how those two sound just eerily similar i mean the outer limits goes on for an extra couple of notes but man Hmm. right there in that opening bit it's it's like a modern version of that music kind of ripped out and then and then chopped off sort of it's it's like i feel there's inspiration there but i honestly don't know outer limits and what if it seems
0: the right similar vibe to to kind of steal from right no, 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 no! Absolutely, and and we don't say steel; we say tribute. Oh yeah, well, they're you know, tribute like a yeah. mofo
1: with a. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's a great catch, and and more to the point, if anything, that's the exact vibe they're probably going for with this animated series. Which, by the way, if what what we've learned is true, there are supposedly twenty three episodes that are being prepped. Now I can't say for sure if we're gonna, gonna get all twenty-three in one run, or you know, in kind of the Rick and Morty in the
1: the poster that they unveiled had a mm-hmm. lot of wonderful what-if clues, and they're mm-hmm. they're just very simple things like Spidey wearing Doctor Strange's cloak and and that's it you know i mean that that's a wonderful what if story kickoff point right there we also have ultron wearing the vision skin so what if ultron ended up winning in age of ultron and ended up putting his body in in vision how oh that's that's a great starting point we see some mcu zombies we see yeah i know jim you've been waiting for that is that's the one that you're going to yeah, skip dude. isn't it
0: That pretty much. I'll watch that from across the room under the couch. (laughs) Right.
1: Uh, We've got Gamora wearing Thanos armor. So what if Gamora ended up taking over the way that Thanos had wanted all this time, Mm -hmm. right? He always said he wished that she would take over after him. Uh, You got Peggy Carter front and center as Captain Britain. And then uh, the last two, uh, what looks like T'Challa is Star Lord now, will be his his what if story. And then finally, and here's a wonderful transition point for you, Jim. What if Black Widow survived? Ooh,
0: I did not see that one there. Yeah. Um, okay, now I got to go back and look at the poster. So yes, there's our transition point again, folks. I got to warn you, we are going to get very fairly spoilery here though I do want to start off by mentioning I have nothing against Stephen you know, I, I enjoyed his work in the Blade movie back in 1998, and I know he's out there promoting his most recent film, but he was talking about how, I don't want to be in Black Widow. It looks like garbage to me. It looks like a bad video game, and I'm embarrassed for those people. I'm embarrassed for Scarlet, and it's like by the fact that he's saying that means Stephen Dorf had not seen... Black Widow, before he actually made those comments, because this was a genuinely entertaining, solid launch for Phase 4, at least I thought so. What's your take, Eric?
1: Yeah, and as I watched it, A, I enjoyed it exactly from, from scene one to the end. It was fun. It was entertaining. There's nothing really bad about it, but I was also thinking about it in analogous terms of like, what if this were a male star? If this were Daniel Craig as as a James Bond movie, the action would still work, but all of the women would be relegated to sex objects. They wouldn't uh, wouldn't have any real importance in the story, right? That's usually the way that Mm -hmm. always works. And all of these women were dominating their character, and they also brought things to the story besides just being the thing that was in danger that the hero had to go save. And so it busted all of those tropes all over the place. And I was thankful for that. And so there's a lot of reasons that if you're looking for a strong, powerful female lead movie, go check out this movie because mm-hmm. it's just littered with strong females that are all leading their own path. And and it was wonderful.
0: That's all excellent observations. And and yes, there's so many great action scenes in this thing that are, are driven by, you know, female performers and, and that sort of thing. One of the things I really loved about this movie was the sisterly relationship between uh, Natasha and Yelena. Half the fun was how they underplayed it. Yeah. We had been told there was going to be kind of a passing of the torch. Sure. Which I thought they did with amazing skill. As we came to the end of this, in fact, we got our, our Thunderbolt Ross scene at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, weren't you ready for sort of the bookend? Because face it, we, we had seen Natasha sort of download the info about the Widows and where they were on the planet and that sort of thing. And she clearly had a bargaining chip. And in fact, we watched that troop of folks in the, the town cars and the SUVs coming to collect the Black Widow. Were you ready for that, that moment where she effectively sort of played poker and, you know, was allowed to walk away?
1: There were a lot of things that I was expecting that I didn't get. Like, this hmm. story does not feel like it goes between Infinity War and and Civil hmm. War. It seems out of its timeline for some reason. And I don't quite understand why necessarily. Because, they, I mean, they talk about Steve Rogers a lot, but obviously he's not in it. Mm-hmm. Then we get Hawkeye's voice, and we get a flashback of... I love the argument of, of Budapest or Budapest mm-hmm. that they that go. they have. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's things like, in on one hand, the fact that when she's hiding in some ventilation shaft and she makes a mention of, her and Hawkeye had to hide out there for like a week back when they were doing their last tour here. And you see what mm-hmm. looks like tic-tac-toe games are mm-hmm. scrawled on the board to indicate a passage of time from a long time ago. That added to their story a bit mm-hmm. without Jeremy actually having to show up in, a, in an actual cameo but we all have always heard so many references about this one job that for it to be mentioned and have his voice and then the, that whole scene probably took maybe 30 seconds a minute of screen time over a two hour movie and it's like mm-hmm. we could have done with just a little bit more of that right that was her main mission that set her free and by the way Jim I gotta point this out because it bugged me Okay, Mm -hmm. so Natasha's doing a mission to get free of her past, right? And she's Mm -hmm. working for S.H.I.E.L.D. in order to do it. And what does that mission involve? Blowing up a child. How good is S.H.I.E.L.D.? Should we be cheering Mm -hmm. for them at all because of this? This seems like that's one where, as a writer, someone in the writer's room should have went, hey, can we change this somehow and make this a little (laughs) bit different? I mean, I get cause well, how they're going to use her as, uh, spoiler alert now, everybody, as Taskmaster mm-hmm. in this movie. So I get that we need to have something happen, but the implication of what S.H.I.E.L.D. is willing to do to get to the ends justifying the means sort of thing there is where I was like, eh, that should have been addressed at some point by someone.
0: Didn't Melina have a line of dialogue to the uh, that effect how she was initially investigating this or, or the, what is it? The, the outfit that they burned to the ground was, you know, run by shield agents, which actually at the time were, you know, the, the bad guys. Oh, Hydra! It was Hydra? Hydra. Oh, well, yeah. you know what, Jim? Well, excuse me. I have to set
1: the oven to three hundred and fifty degrees because apparently that's the best temperature for cooking crow. <laughs> I, I have to go eat some. I'll be right back. Go ahead now. No,
0: no. I mean, but that's the thing. You were pointing out that. Actually, the end scene of this film, if there are people who now will put Black Widow where it belongs in the chronological order, this actually puts a very interesting spin on, um, you know, the, the Your uh, opinion, Hawkeye. yeah,
1: your opinion of how Clint yeah. is viewed for the next few episodes. So all of mm-hmm. our long time from day one, you've watched from Iron Man on, what if you didn't know how Scarlet's character, Natasha, gets killed in Infinity War. Forget that. Okay. And then watch chronologically. This is like a, no, I am your father type moment, right? Where at the end in our bonus scene, we get our uh, cameo from Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld showing up as Valentina to do her thing. And I love her, by the way. She's awesome.
0: Uh, yeah, great fun. And she
1: goes, and she goes to uh, Yelena, uh, hey, if you want to hunt down the person who's responsible for your sister's death, here you go. Now, at this point in the MCU, we wouldn't know that Natasha had died. And we wouldn't know how far in the future this end scene would have to have taken place in order for this to make sense. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. means that if you know that Natasha died somehow and Hawkeye's responsible for it, every time that they team up, and you know they get along like good old-fashioned war buddies... There's no way that he'd betray her. Now you're like, what What does he do? How does he do it? That snake, I knew we couldn't trust him. Does he get brainwashed again like he does in Avengers? You would be giving him stink eye every time you saw him in the street. You, patoo, patoo, spit two times. (laughs) Every time he crossed your path, patoo, patoo. And then to find out that she ends up sacrificing herself and that he's not really responsible, it's just Valentina's trying to twist the way, you know, the way that things happen to suit her needs, whatever. Yeah, that could be very interesting if you're watching the MCU Now, chronologically, for the very first time, and you place Black Widow in its proper place, and then, yeah, you wouldn't know what was going on. And by the way, if you're one of those people, sorry for the mega-spoiler that you got coming up. (laughs)
0: The Titanic sunk. <laughs> there we go. There we go. But no, I mean, I'm genuinely intrigued by that. That would put an, an interesting spin on the next couple of films. Oh, by the way, I, I, as Mr. Testa likes to say, you know, that every show should include a, a moment of self-congratulation, and you, you know, nailed it in one. To the effect of, okay, who who are we going to get? And it's oh, it's got to be Valentina. It's got to be Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and you know, sure enough, here she shows up. But I have to say that in a weird sort of way, I feel like Marvel Studios caught a lucky break that Black Widow got pushed off so long. Because if you think about when we get Hawkeye, which is supposed to be late 2021, we've just been introduced to this concept that Yelena is now coming gunning for Clint Barton. I'm sorry. I want to see Hawkeye, all six episodes of this thing now. I enjoyed you later. She was a great character. And I'll be fascinated to see a what she does when she catches up with Clint and how or if Clint turns this situation around.
1: Well, you know that she's going to be the replacement for Scarlet's character going forward on the the new Avengers, whatever they end up being called, the, the new team up. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could be a leader of the young Avengers, who knows. But it's got to be one of those things where they go bump heads and are think they're enemies, and then she realizes the truth of the way Mm -hmm. things went down and then they become best buds and et cetera, et cetera. And she joins switches teams and we're all in love again because we really like the character and we don't want her to be the bad guy. But while she is labeled Mm -hmm. as the bad guy, we'll certainly root for because we liked her in black widow. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's always good to have a like a a la Loki. It's always good to have a bad guy that you can root for.
0: This is true. By the way, I cannot recommend highly enough. If you're going to watch this on Disney plus, that you should check out the 11-minute long Marvel Legends recap of the Black Widow story arc. It really does sort of nice refresher course of, you know, where this character was, where she came from, that sort of thing. I want to talk about the fact that both Aaron and I had the option of going to see this in movie theaters. And when it came to Black Widow, what did you decide to do? Yeah, I was initially going to go to a theater, but it was just
1: a... a Fact of being lazy and also being trained so very well by Disney that I don't need to go out for my entertainment. I can just go on Disney Plus. And mm-hmm. uh, when I did the math, if I were to take my wife to the theater and then you know buy the popcorn and the soda and all the candy and all that, it it was more than the thirty dollars of Disney Plus. And mm-hmm. it, sometimes after a day of work, you don't feel like going out, but you still feel like entertainment. So you want to just want to clap your hands and go entertain me. And then things happen. And uh, we could do that. We could just push the uh, button and $30 was magically drawn from a. and then we get a little ta-da sound effect and a magician goes, and you're $30 poor. Here's your show. And then we watch the show and we go, well, it was was worth it. I don't feel like I was ripped off. I felt like I got, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'll say I got my money's worth on that $30 ticket for uh, the two of us not having to go to a theater.
0: Nancy and I had the exact same conversation. I mean, it was a notion of, okay, it's, it's open on Friday, but again, it's, it's we've got a family wedding coming up this weekend. And so there were you know, all sorts of errands and chores and things that had to be done out ahead of that and getting out of the house and, and going to, to the theater. In the end, this was more convenient. I really wish I could have seen Dracov's Flying Fortress was coming apart in the sky. I really wish I could have seen that scene on a large screen. Sure. What is the James Bond uh, moon moon? Moonraker. Moonraker. I loved that they took a moment to reference that because in a weird sort of way, I felt like that was kind of the scale they were shooting for with this thing. Now with Taskmaster,
1: I got to say the the fans were a bit mm-hmm. peeved and I want to say those are the wrong kind of fans Mm -hmm. because Taskmaster used to be a boy, but now it's a girl. And they were all upset about that. And I mean, you know, the character had a history and whatnot, but his background was not why he was cool. It was because he could mimic whatever it was that he saw. And the change fit the story that Marvel was trying to tell. And Marvel has always been able to change their characters to suit their whims anytime they choose. And so they always don't get a 100% translation from screen to page. Like you do J Jonah Jameson and then hiring JK Simmons. Yeah. I mean that's a that's a direct to page to screen adaptation, but there are other characters that get changed and sometimes it's to serve the story. And I think in this case
0: it did serve the story. I don't disagree. You know, in fact, you know t- to be honest given that, you know, a lot of this was a, a really well-done female empowerment story. It kind of made sense that if Black Widow's going up against a badass, you know, or Yelena for that matter, it should have been a strong female character. So now, folks, Aaron and I are going to take a, basically a 13-hour break, and when we get back, we're going to be having both seen Episode 6 of Loki. Well, that'll be in just a minute. it's been 13 hours now, Aaron, and we've both seen episode 6 of, of Loki and what did we think? Oh, I'm just mad. I I don't I don't
1: know if I can wait till 2023 for Ant-Man Quantumania for uh, Jonathan Majors to come back as Kang. <laughs> it's a long stretch. So, uh I am now just coming to the realization that this is the mm. very, very first shot of Thanos mm. at the end uh, credits of the first event. No, no and was it wasn't the first Avengers.
0: It was—I want to say it's Guardians of the Galaxy when he's like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." No, that was so.
1: that was his line when he finally came into the game. But there's like one of the movies uh, that where we catch a glimpse of him at the very end, and he just turns around and smiles.
0: That's Avengers. That that okay. Uh, you know, okay. So you you were correct there, but yes, this is. I guess that's the thing for me is you know we are now finally getting the look over the hill that Kevin Feige was talking about, and and to be honest, we were just talking about the tail end of Black Widow and seeing our scene with Yelena and Valentina setting her up to go off, and that being a nudge to to go be in. Hawkeye, you know, the new limited series. But I, as you mentioned, it was the notion of like, as the episode w- was running this morning and the mention of the 31st century, it was like the, oh no, <laughs> really? This is where it starts? And yeah. all I wanted was for this thing to end with Owen Wilson on a jet ski. And did you get that? No. no. You know, in fact, did you see the piece of art that was out there on Twitter early this week where somebody had done... In the style of Luca, Owen Wilson on his jet ski and with two kids who were clearly Loki and Sylvie basically riding on his shoulders. And, but the jet ski had kind of been modeled like a Vespa. That's all I wanted. And for it to end this way, where Owen Wilson's character has no idea who Loki is. And, and Loki literally is the only one who knows what's about to happen.
1: So let's back up a second. Did we ever figure out where the time bombs that female Loki sent off, like they were never addressed again. So are those all of just the random points in time that are now creating the variations of the multiverse? Is that it? Is this all
0: her fault? That's an excellent question because you're right. You know, we, we set up that moment after you know, the rocks on Walmart. And we saw that happening. So at the moment, we're dropping back into the story. Could this be that moment again? I mean, remember, that that's the interesting thing about time travel is it can fold back in on itself. I don't think so because uh, Owen's
1: story was progressing forward in a linear fashion. And, mm. I mean, there's the whole thing with uh, uh, Renslayer, Renslayer, right? Renslayer, yep. She mm-hmm. took off. Don't know mm-hmm. what happened to her.
0: Well, she's off in search of free will.
1: Right. And I know that in the comics, she and, and Kang the Conqueror were a, a, an item. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting that they were going to ha- meet in this episode somehow. Mm-hmm. And she just runs off and disappears. And now you've got Owen Wilson kind of, I want to say, almost liberating the members of the TVA by explaining that they were all variants themselves. Mm-hmm. And then Loki comes back. So he couldn't go back in time because Owen has the knowledge of present things that are occurring in the present tense. So I think that no we've ended up not in a different place in time but in a
0: alternate universe. Well, I mean the giveaway for that was of course the statue of Kang. Right. You know, and again the fact that you know Owen Wilson's character didn't recognize Loki and that sort of thing. So this is the first time we've actually gotten confirmation that there is in fact going to be a season two of a limited series. It's been hinted that that may happen with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but this is our first, yep, it's coming back. Do you know the problem with a, with a really big screen TV, Jim, is no
1: matter how poor my aim is, I'm still able to throw <laughs> things and, and still hit it out of anger and frustration. And when that Loki will return in season two, I said, well, season two better start next Wednesday, damn it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to wait.
1: You. I'm not a patient person. I don't know if you've no, caught on.
0: No, I, I, I get that. I do get that. I mean, we also should probably reference that, you know, we were focusing primarily on this episode. But we did also, you know, we haven't talked yet about episode five and uh, Richard E. Grant's wonderful work as... Classic Loki, I think they described him as. And the fact that we had classic Loki sacrifice himself because he had glorious purpose. I genuinely enjoyed that. I I especially enjoyed Owen Wilson's return in the the pizza delivery car. Right. I, I guess my problem is I enjoyed the ride right up until the moment I realized, oh dear God, it's not ending this story doesn't end, that, that if anything, this, just like what we saw with the dovetailing of all of the different timelines, this is going to feed into, what, the next 10 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? We, we
1: really don't know, because, I mean, we weren't expecting this to end that. So far, WandaVision ended with a full resolution Falcon mm-hmm. and the Winter Soldier had a full resolution. You felt that it was done. This mm-hmm. is the first time where they've left you on a, a cliffhanger of sorts mm-hmm. where you don't... I don't feel resolution from this. I feel like the mm-hmm. story is just starting here, okay. especially when you get to the, the main villain and mm-hmm. you have a sit-down chat. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. then, and then someone decides, "Say hey, I'm going to kill him. And, and the villain's like, fair play, go for it. Mm-hmm. And they do. And then he laughs and says, see you soon. And you know that another version of him is coming. And it's just like, well, that's the beginning of a thing, not
0: the end of a thing. One of the moments I loved out of this episode was when Jordan played the moment of, and that we just crossed the threshold. You know, I, right. I knew everything that was going to happen up until that time. And now. This could go any way. Mm-hmm. Again, there were some wonderful beats in this. The fight between Sylvie and Loki, where Sylvie was the one who didn't, couldn't trust, and Loki was the one not to be trusted, and trying to break down the wall there. I love how this was crafted. I love the performances. But I, I think, as you mentioned, just to, to be brought up short like this, well, not, not I, that's the wrong way to describe it. Just the realization that, like, to suddenly realize, like, oh no, we are at the top of the hill on the roller coaster, and yeah, well, come come back in two years. <laughs> it, exactly. <laughs> you know? This is why I felt
1: it was like the Thanos looks over his shoulder and smiles, and then the credits cut, and you're like, oh mm-hmm. damn it, this is yeah. yeah, this is just the start of the long haul, and and now mm-hmm. remember, if it, we took three phases to get to Endgame, and mm-hmm. uh, Kang is our new big bad for a good while. This could nope. be many, many years. I'm a, I'm starting to fear, Jim, if I'm going to survive to see <laughs> the end of some of these story arcs that they're just now starting.
0: <laughs> Let's remember, I'm the designated old fart for the show. So if anybody who's not going to make it till the end of realistically phase six. Yeah, well,
1: it? I was on a Keith Richards diet for many, many years of my career. So no. I was uh, <laughs> okay. All right.
0: For those of you who like to gamble, might be a time to pick up a life insurance policy on either one of us. When you saw the end of the original Avengers and you saw Thanos turn and smile to the camera and realize, bigger story coming on the heels of of this, weren't you also concerned at that point, like, are they going to be able to stick the landing? And remember when we found out that the last film was actually going to get split in two? We'd have to, over two years' time, mm-hmm. wait from Infinity Wars to uh, get the end of Endgame to finally find out what was going on. But, but they did manage to stick the landing. Sure. I guess my only concern right now is coming on the heels of Black Widow and just saw that scene with Valentina and Yelena and that sends Hawkeye in motion. Likewise, we, we saw the tail end scene of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I have the uneasy feeling that to really understand everything that's going on, we're going to have to watch everything? I mean, literally everything?
1: Isn't that kind of what they've been doing this whole time is... uh, I mean, it starts off with a thread. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you know, you add enough thread, it's a tapestry. And you can't can't just look at a single thread anymore. You have to look at what the entire tapestry is out of all those many threads. So Mm -hmm. you have to start... And that's smart because children are born every day, right? There's a sucker mm-hmm. born every minute is the old saying, but this is a little bit different. There's a new mm-hmm. fan born every minute. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. a generational thing where kids grew up with these movies. And one day they're going to have kids and their, their way of bonding with their children is by sharing uh, mm-hmm. milestone moments that they had growing up. And the Avengers movies and the Marvel movies are part of that. Now, mm-hmm. just in the same way star Wars was, do you show them in chronological order, Jim, or do you start with four a new hope and do five and six, right? You know, we've all had this debate before. It's going to be mm-hmm. the same with Marvel movies. Do you do it the way that they mm-hmm. came out in the cinema or do you do it chronologically? And do you, and, and as a result, do they now, do your children not trust Hawkeye for a good three or four years I, movies, Again, right? I,
0: I, <laughs> yes, I, I, again,
1: I, I love that, your observation. Now, we, we've completely ignored episode five so far. And Mm -hmm. and there are a ton of Easter eggs. Sure. What else did did you see from Easter egg country? Uh, A couple of these I had to look up because it was so Mm -hmm. dense, so densely Mm -hmm. packed that to catch them all on on one viewing would have been just impossible. But uh, eagle-eyed viewers and online contributions sure did help sort this out. But we've got a version of Stark Tower in the background that has the word Mm -hmm. Kang, but it's spelled Q-E-N-G. And uh, in the old comic books, apparently uh, Mr. Griffin, uh, quote-unquote, was a pseudonym for Kang the Conqueror. And his company, Kang, Q-E-N-G, <laughs> hmm. nobody could ever go, oh, oh Kang, we're... oh, and it's owned by Kang the Conqueror? Who would have guessed? It's just because it started with a Q instead of a K that got us all befuddled there. Yeah, so anyway. That was your first hint that Kang the Conqueror's kind of behind all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we okay. also had the Thanos copter. Did you see the Thanos
0: copter, Jim? The Thanos copter. Were you aware I of the th-
1: Were you aware of the Thanos copter, Jim? Let's back up and start there. I I guess I was not. I I was um. not either. But I saw a copter, a helicopter, in the in the background. It had the word Thanos on the tail, and I was like, "What the devil?" Mm -hmm. Online, you go to find out that uh, back in ye olden comic book days, once again, you remember when Spider-Man was attached to the electric company? Yes, yes. It was like one of those things where they had electric company comic book issues or whatever. And for Mm -hmm. uh, about three issues of Marvel Comics, someone thought it would be cool for Thanos' main mode of transport to get about the city would be a, a nice little helicopter that he barely fit into. You know, the bubble chopper, you know, like you see oh. in the beginning of MASH where it's just a glass canopy and then some metal framing, and that's about it. Oh, Cram like Thanos them. into that and, and have him go, you know, hurling insults at, at our heroes as he flies over New York City shaking his fist. That was the Thanos copter.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. Really? The electric company Spider-Man? Yeah,
1: something like it was. I don't know if it was directly from that or if it was just it was back in the, in those days when they were doing weird stuff with the characters. Right. Yeah, anything went back then. Stan was oh, making the, handshake God. deals under the table in the back alleys. You know how it was. It was fast and loose. Uh, hey, of course, go. we had Throg in a jar. And, mm-hmm. yes, I, I, I saw, wait, is that Mjolnir? Wait a minute, what moved next to Mjolnir? Holy cow, is that Throg? <laughs> Let me back that up. That was Throg. Let me get my nose pressed up against the glass and and play that three or four more times. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm looking at Throg in real life. That's amazing. And,
0: and supposedly, if you dig down into the credits, Throg's voice is, in fact... <laughs> credited to Chris Hemsworth. I just, I have to imagine, you know, at some point on set, you know, while they were doing Love and Thunder, oh, by the way, could you you go over to the audio booth for a moment? You know, Mr. Feige sent you a page. When they're doing ADR, it was probably one of the 500
1: grunts that he had to do for a battle scene. They just cherry picked one out and then pitched it up to make it sound smaller and said, there's Throg as he jumps to try and break out of the glass. But yeah, okay. it
0: could have been anything. The fact that they crafted this, they did, they put so much in it and it was so dense and so rich. And yet, even if you didn't know any of this, it was still a fun episode. It was a wonderful fun house mirror moment and to watch Sylvie... And, and Loki try to take down the giant beast and you know classic Loki make that sacrifice <laughs> in addition to the the uh, Loki is alligator biting off the hand you know right. president Loki I mean it was a, a crazy funhouse mirror of an episode a few things the, the when classic
1: Loki conjured, all of uh, like all of Asgard mm. but it was in that magical green look did that remind mm. you of all of the emerald city of oz it did it did i wondered if there was any intention in that cuz it seemed like they were not really following any sort of road or anything but uh, and also when alioth came onto the scene remember when i was talking mm. earlier as a uh, last episode and i kind of made a joke about mm-hmm. well if their writing has to be so tight that means that no writers from lost could have been hired <laughs> Because you end up with stupid, like a smoke monster. And then Alioth shows up on the scene and I'm like, wait a minute, let me go check IMDB and make sure there were no writers from Lost in this episode. What's this all about? That was kind of funny, but it had a point. It served a purpose
0: and it made sense. So we can't, no, it we can't did. pick that apart. It did. it did. And by the way, just to double back to the Wizard of Oz for a moment. Yeah. From the moment. We were in the room with the timekeepers and they were then exposed to be mechanical. I have been waiting for that man behind the curtain. Th- there we go. And when we finally got Kang, again, who we, we haven't heard his name yet, but when we finally got our scientists from the 31st century. It was just the notion of the man behind the curtain. And then to have the man behind the curtain to be so self assured until we cross the threshold. And then it's like, and again, as you mentioned, that wonderful throwaway, you know, it's like, well, see you soon. Right. There's a few things that had some really significant
1: undertone, I, su- I suppose, as far as the Easter eggs go. We had uh, a Living Tribunal rock sculpture. And the Living mm-hmm. Tribunal is like a three-headed thing, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's three faces on one head. And uh, that entity only steps in when the multiverse is, at, uh, is like, threatened from being wiped out of existence or whatever and the fact that we've only had like one timeline and now we're getting the multiverse is kind of backwards because the living tribunal if it came before means that there was a multiverse before and as kang did explain there were many and now he's consolidated to one and now we're going back to the many again Mm -hmm. so the fact that the living tribunal exists is represented there shows that the multiverse came before and, and what we're going back to a couple other things, uh, a giant yellow jacket helmet was just laying out on the field, which no explanation, but apparently yellow jacket got big, really, really, really darn big, uh, giant size. The pizza truck that Mobius drives up in is like almost the exact pizza truck from every Pixar movie ever.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: How did, how did you feel when you saw the Eldridge show up the USS Eldridge, the battleship from the Philadelphia experiment?
0: i have to admit it in my conspiracy laden 80s you know when i I, you know again reading up on the philadelphia experiment yeah that that was one of those things where it's like okay that's a crazy kitchen sink moment but but you know all of a sudden the
1: philadelphia experiment makes sense (laughs) in my mind well of course that's where it went that's what went wrong okay i I get it now obviously right Um, and then uh like the last thing was uh a helicarrier had to have a helicarrier for good measure in the background because even though you are at the end of the universe, it's good to know it's the end of the MC universe. So let's put mm-hmm. a helicarrier back in the, in the background. So yeah, episode five was just chock full of Easter eggs. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard E. Grant was great as classic Loki. Everything about it was wonderful. And then w- when we finally did get to episode six and we finally did get to Kang's character it was not what I was expecting of that character at all. Because first off for him to be so charming and so nice and so welcoming, even though he's controlling and, you know, manipulating all of time and space. Mm -hmm. Like now what's the, what's the driving narrative for this character? If he knows that he's done good by eliminating all variations of himself but he allows himself to be killed so that all of the other hymns can be unleashed. Mm -hmm. Like, the narrative of of what what his motivation is is mind-boggling to me right now, and I just want to see... Thanos had a good thing. If I prune half of the universe's living things, then nature can thrive and we'll have resources and people will
0: have food. What is Kang's thing? You know, I wonder... If we are literally in another Doctor Strange moment, remember in Infinity War where we saw him going through the, what, seven million possible endings to the battle and there was, you know, and it just in the end there was one. There was one when they came out on top and, you know, the notion of perhaps with this character, he's looking at what they, they've done with time variance agency right and you know the notion of we we handled all of it except that maybe in order to finally set things right this sort of cataclysmic event actually has to happen
1: for me i i'm hoping that the the narrative stays fairly straightforward as far as we stay in our primary universe like other characters mm-hmm. can join our universe, but I don't want to go into their universes too much. It'll be nice to, you know, jump in, notice a difference, but come back to our primary universe mm-hmm. and then let Marvel's what if animated series. Yes, yes. Let I think that they fill in, in the holes of what the other universes are
0: like. And that could be a good kind of like barrier between here and there. What if the fact that it's not a coincidence where, you know, we're coming out of Loki with this ending and then we get what if, you know, with the notion of let me show you what's going on in the various multiverses. So you get a taste of how things could be different. And then we drop back in and down into the films. Right. Is that our
1: primer for all the different multiverses? So if we watch what if and we know the how many episodes were there? Well, again, you know, the 23
0: yeah. that, you know, so far. So if they've got
1: 23 episodes primed and and they end up feeding them to us over time, we now have 23 different multiverses that they could drop us into with no explanation. Mm. We just get it
0: because yep. they've already primed us through What If? Go ahead. I'm beginning to understand the larger picture here. And just to bring things full circle here, for that ending, I did especially coming on the heels again, all I want is Owen Wilson. With his jet ski, because I I love that moment in episode five where he's you know he's hugging Loki, but he's still talking to Sylvie over Loki's shoulder. You're my favorite. Again, that feels like a Wizard
1: of Oz moment. Wasn't
0: it? Didn't, does not Dorothy does. say
1: uh, and so and so I love you the most? Was it the Scarecrow yeah, who it, was it, played I think by I'll her? Miss
0: you the most? Yes. Yeah, because
1: know. he was the boyfriend yeah. that Dorothy had back at the at the ranch or at the farm.
0: Have, by the way, have you ever seen the Family Guy that follows up on that that moment where the tin woodsman and the coverly lion really get bent out of shape, yeah. Oh, well,
1: thanks, okay, geez, you know, exactly. I, I only- that was exactly what I thought of. Like, Loki should have had that moment, like, well, go to hell, you jerk, <laughs> right? Uh, and since we're uh, getting ready to wrap up on Loki and we just brought yep. up Family Guy, we got to yep. do fair play and, and mention mm-hmm. Simpsons real quick.
0: Oh, did yeah, you catch see, the see. six
1: minutes of that? I did. I right. did. The the good, the Bart, and the key. First, I, I just got to say, that, like, Disney's got to do something about when they tell us it's a six-minute episode, they got to really get mm. real with stuff and say okay. it's a two-and-a-half-minute episode with mm. three minutes of credits where animation and funny stuff still happens during most of that. And it was probably some of the funniest thing of The
0: Simpsons I've seen
1: in a very, very long time. It was very, very funny.
0: I have far too many things in common with Homer Simpson, but the the fact that he was able, you know, it's like, can you make this pork chop into two pork chops? That's like, yes, <laughs> you are my new god. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and then again at the very end of the, the the episode where he opens Bart's bedroom door and there's Loki and it's just it's like, you know, tomorrow I'll do the same thing with with Flanders. The fact that he knows, he knows his son is gone, but it doesn't matter. Sure. Like, you know, I have the guy who can make two pork chops here in the house. Yep. And that's fine. Um, yeah, it, no, it had wonderful writing. But what about you? What, what were your favorite, you know, moments and beats out of this thing? Oh no, the whole
1: the whole thing. I mean, it was so. I mean, it's so short, but I think that their writing was so tight that every instant, if it wasn't a joke being thrown at you verbally, it was a visual gag on the screen, or it was a barrage of characters dressed up as some form of our MCU heroes, and to, and you, you know, kind of have to pause for a moment to go okay so this character is playing as Iron Man uh, which was I think Barney was playing as Iron Man it was just densely packed and it was quick and it was over before you knew it and so it was just great I don't want to ruin any jokes or anything you know it was was
0: just worth watching. Well speaking of of quick and just one final note before we go here the um, I think it was Al Jean who uh, from The Simpsons who was talking about the fact that they were watching Loki, and they realized, we got to reference this. It's Loki. You know, the good, the good, the Barton, the Loki. And they actually wrote that end credit scene, and you know, hustled, you know, Tom Hiddleston into a recording studio, so they could riff on what was going on in Loki, and include that in the show. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they moved that fast to make sure that they were that on the money gag wise was amazing. So, It's amazing that the animated guys where you have to draw every single frame are able to get
1: stuff out so quick. However, live action stuff takes so long. Why are we waiting for Loki season two? It should start next Wednesday. Kevin Feige, <laughs> well, what the <laughs> hell is the matter with you? Why don't you already have this ready to go? Come on now. I want this to be a weekly series. 52 episodes per year is what I'm looking for, Feige. 52 <laughs> episodes per year. Can you do it? And that's not just for Loki. That's all the shows. I want Wandavision. I want Falcon and Winter
0: Soldier. Fifty-two of each of them. We've got five days a week to fill. Well, speaking of which, we would end up doing two and three-hour show, and this, by the way, I believe will be our longest ever Marvel US Disney. So, uh, thank you so much, folks. For listening to this, this three-parter, by the way, we, we do also have uh, some other shows here. If you want more, after this epic length show, we've got uh, Disney Dish with Lentesta. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We have uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, which I really got to get a new one going on that one. If you get head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this show, that helps get us some additional eyeballs and ears. If you really 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 like what you've heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. Beyond that, I so enjoy watching Aaron interact with both listeners to the show and the the, the outside world on social media. Aaron, can you, you tell folks where they can find you in, in that sphere? Yeah, you can send money to Aaron Z Adams at paypal.com. Is that right? Is that how we do this? Was that what I, you're asking for? we were a little more subtle than that. You know, oh. Please send please send the bullion and the blank checks, too. Yes.
1: Okay, okay. See, I've been giving out the wrong information this whole time. You want to go ahead and talk about Twitter, go for it. I give out my PayPal. That's, uh, that's where it's at right there. Ah, that's how there I social going.
0: media. Speaking of which, for us social media, you can find us on, what is it, Twitter and uh, Facebook as Jim Hill Media, and I believe it's Instagram as Jim Hill Media News. Aaron and I will be back in two weeks' time with another brand new show, and to then, thanks for listening.